0: do mom a favor take this down to the mailbox okay okay i love you mom
1: i love you too vicky lynn hoskinson never returned home after running the errand for her mother her abandoned bicycle was the only clue to her disappearance 8-year-old Vicki Lynn Hoskinson grew up in Flowing Wells, a suburb of Tucson, Arizona. She was the youngest in a family brought together by the second marriage of her mother, Debbie Carlson.
0: There was something about her that grabbed your heart the minute you were around her. She had this intensity of a royal blueness in her eyes. When you looked into her eyes, you saw this depth of wisdom. It was beyond her years.
1: Vicky's prized possession was the pink Stingray bicycle she had received as a Christmas present, which is what she rode to the mailbox on the day she disappeared. To get to the mailbox, Vicky headed down a dirt path behind some neighbors' homes, went down a dead-end street and over an uncleared area of desert brush. Her mother expected Vicki back in 10 minutes. When she didn't return, she sent her older daughter, Stephanie, to look for her.
0: Stephanie came right back, and she was hysterical, and she was crying. She goes, Mom, I found Vicky's bike in the middle of the road. And I go, what do you mean you found Vicky's bike in the middle of the road? She goes, it was laying in the middle of the road. And she goes, something's wrong. Something's wrong. My mom got in the car and drove around and picked up the bicycle. and you know, rode through the neighborhood, looking for Vicki, and when she returned home, she called the police.
2: At the time, we thought we were possibly looking for just a missing child who had failed to come home after uh, going out to do an errand for her mother. And uh, as the search went on, it became obvious that something something other than a normal disappearing, disappearing child had occurred.
1: Hundreds of volunteers searched the nearby desert and police helicopters scoured the area. Vicki's family pleaded for her safe return on local television.
0: My faith in God that, that he's watching over her and he's protecting her and that he is going to bring her home to us. I, I really believe that she's still
1: alive. Police received a number of calls from people who claimed to have seen a child who looked like Vicky.
2: There were a lot of Vicky sightings. It's not an unusual phenomenon when you ask people to go uh, look for for such a person. And our community was actively looking for Vicky, but all of the sightings were dead ends.
1: days of Vicki Lynn Hoskinson's disappearance, yellow ribbons appeared all over Tucson as a sign of the community's concern for the
2: missing eight-year-old girl. The picture of Vicky uh, that is locked in everyone's mind of this little gap-toothed eight-year-old girl, the way Vicki was forever frozen in most people's memory, was everywhere. It was on the front page of the newspapers many times. It was on billboards around town. It was on TV so often. Uh, it was one incident and one person who really brought Tucson together.
1: But police had no solid leads on Vicky's whereabouts. The local police called in the FBI who wanted to question the last teacher at school who had seen the little girl alive. It was Vicky's athletic coach, Sam Hall, and the story he told them was chilling. He said he was in the school playground picking up some sports equipment with the student. Let's go. A strange-looking character in a sports car caught his eye. The man appeared to be staring at the children. He had long hair and an unkempt appearance and drove away shortly after he was spotted. Something was telling me that this gentleman just wasn't right. And as a Christian man and as a man of prayer and a man who does
2: pray and I have a relationship with the Lord, I sensed the Lord telling me this man was going to do something evil and wicked tonight that i needed to write down everything i saw
1: paul immediately went to his car wrote the man's license plate number on a piece of paper and put it in his glove compartment the fbi told hall that vicky disappeared near the mailbox one block away not long after hall saw the man in the sports car immediately i went right back to that car and what was is sitting in my glove box on my pickup The car had a California license plate with the number 1KEZ608. The car was registered to Frank Jarvis Atwood. He had two prior arrests, one for lewd and lascivious behavior, the other for kidnapping. In each case, the victims were young boys. Atwood was out on parole at the time of Vicki Hoskinson's disappearance. But there was no proof of any connection between Atwood and Vicki Lynn Hoskinson. Investigators went back to where they found the bicycle. This time, they saw something they hadn't seen before. I noticed a post had been bent over about 25 feet away at the side of the road. So when I went over and examined it, it had been a fresh bend. And the bend was about 12 inches from the ground. Investigators suspected that the dent may have been caused by the perpetrator. Since it was low to the ground, it looked like it was caused by a small vehicle, possibly a sports car. The car registered to Frank Atwood was a sports car, a Datsun 260Z. Police issued an all points bulletin for Frank Atwood. Three days after Vicky's disappearance, Atwood was traced from California to Arizona to Oklahoma and finally to the small town of Kerrville, Texas. Under questioning, Atwood said nothing that could link him or his automobile to Vicky's disappearance. But afterwards, one of the detectives noticed a small speck of paint on the front bumper of Atwood's car that looked to be the same color as Vicky's abandoned bicycle. Frank Atwood was arrested on a suspicion of kidnapping. Atwood maintained his innocence, but the police were convinced that Atwood's car had been at the scene of the crime. For the proof they needed, they turned to science. Gatwood was in custody on the suspicion of kidnapping Vicky Lynn Hoskinson, but he denied he was involved in any way. The family gradually came to terms with the possibility that Vicky would never be found alive. Christmas.
0: That was <laughs> Christmas. Thought for sure she was coming home. That's when I realized that she was never coming home. Excuse
1: me. The only evidence against Atwood was circumstantial. A tiny speck of paint on his bumper that may have come from Vicky's bicycle, but could have come from anywhere. Police sent Atwood's car and Vicky's bicycle to accident reconstructionist Paul Larmor. When Larmor placed the bicycle on the ground, sideways, he noticed that the pedal was at the exact same height as the scratch marks and the indentation on the gravel pan under Atwood's front bumper. There was no impact in the classic sense of the word. There was contact between the two and the car continued to push against the bike, pushed it down on the ground and overrode it to the point that the pedal uh, deformed the gravel pan under the car. Larmore believes that Atwood's car was going less than five miles an hour when it struck Vicky's bicycle. This would account for the lack of blood at the scene the car was going too slow for Vicki to have sustained serious injuries. Next, the bumper of Atwood's car and Vicky's bicycle were both sent to the FBI lab in Washington, D.C.
2: The prosecution requested that we look at the bicycle and compare that to the paint that was scraped off the bumper of the vehicle as well as the paint that was remaining on the vehicle and try to make a comparison to see if those paints... Uh, originate from the same source.
1: Paint analysis involves microscopic and microchemical examination. Under the microscope, the samples of paint from Atwood's bumper and the bicycle appeared to be similar. Next, microchemicals were added to both paint samples. Both reacted to the chemicals in the same way. Finally, the paint samples were placed in a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer and heated to a temperature of 760 degrees centigrade, which vaporizes and separates the organic components of the paint samples. The compounds in both paint samples were identical. This did not necessarily prove that the paint on Atwood's bumper came from Vicki Hoskinson's bicycle. When Jim Corby studied the paint samples under the scanning electron microscope, he noticed one element in the paint from Vicky's bicycle, which was not common in the chemical formulation of paint. He found traces of nickel. But where had it come from? When he looked closer at Atwood's bumper, he noticed that the chrome on the bumper next to the pink paint had been scratched, exposing the nickel underplating. The chemical composition of the nickel underplating on Atwood's bumper was identical to the nickel sample found on Vicki's bicycle.
2: It leads one to believe, as a forensic scientist, that these two items, uh, namely the bicycle and the bumper, were in forcible contact with each other at one time, meaning that they made physical contact with each other.
1: This two-way transfer, paint from the bicycle onto the bumper, and the nickel from the bumper onto the bicycle placed Frank Atwood's automobile at the scene of Vicki Hoskinson's disappearance. Seven months after Vicki Hoskinson's disappearance, A man, hiking through the desert outside of Tucson, found a human skull, which looked like that of a child.
2: It was an area that we had initially speculated. uh, If you were going to get rid of a body, where would you do it? And it was an area that was close to um, the area where she disappeared. It's on that side of town. It was remote. After
1: several days of searching, more bones were discovered some had been gnawed by animals. Among those found was a lower jawbone with teeth. The news was devastating to the family, although not a surprise.
0: I'll never forget the look on Sheriff Dupnik's face. Him and I are really close. But I just knew, looking at him, what the answer was without them telling me verbally. And um, I just remember losing it and watching all these girl men turn their back to me because they didn't want me to see that they were crying.
1: Forensic anthropologist Dr. Walter Birkby was asked to analyze the skeletal remains to see if they belonged to Vicki Hoskinson. He used a technique called comparative dental radiography to compare the teeth and jawbone found in the desert to the dental x-rays of Vicki Hoskinson. They were a match, but he could not determine the cause of death from the rest of the remains.
2: There weren't any sharp implement marks and really nothing that would uh, indicate uh, blunt force trauma
1: or anything like that. But, so cause of death could have been practically anything. Hundreds of people attended Vicki Hoskinson's funeral. Many knew of her only through news reports, but wanted to share in the family's grief.
2: It grabbed the emotion, not only of people here, but of all people in Tucson. It was something that everyone at the time was talking about, and I can't think of anything that's been, that's even approached that magnitude uh, since then. Frank Atwood
1: was charged with murder. His lawyers pointed out that Atwood had been in police custody since three days after Vicky's disappearance. They said it was impossible to know when the body had been dumped in the desert. It was possible it could have happened while Atwood was in custody. Medical examiner Dr. Richard Frady was asked if there was any way to tell when Vicki Lynn Hoskinson had been killed. Now we must take it of anything we can find on the bones.
2: And one of the things that we found on the bones was there was some adipocere there.
1: Adipocere, also known as mortuary fat, is a gray, waxy substance which forms when a body is exposed to high temperatures, bacteria, and water. Dr. Frady knew that the desert had high temperatures as well as sources of bacteria, but deserts have little or no water. Was it possible that the body was first in an area with water before it was moved to the desert? If so, Frank Atwood would be exonerated, since he had been in custody since three days after the girl's disappearance. Dr. Frady researched the weather conditions for the period that Vicki Hoskinson had been missing.
2: We found that within a day or two after she had disappeared, that there were heavy rains in that area and then there were no more rains for months. The adipose seer
1: told Dr. Frady that the body was in the desert during these rainstorms, most likely in a shallow grave. The rain water mixed with the bacteria and the high temperatures over the next two to three months forming the adipose seer found on her bones. Had it been a month later, two months, three months, it would have been dry and the body would have been mummified and you would not have seen the adipose here. This put the time of Vicki's death within a day or two of her disappearance. Prosecutors believe that Atwood was cruising the Tucson area for a child the day Sam Hall saw him near the schoolyard. Fortunately, Hall had the presence of mind to write his license number down on a piece of paper. A half hour later... Atwood saw Vicky on her pink bicycle a block away from the school. He accelerated into Vicky's bicycle, knocking her to the ground. The bumper hit the bicycle just under the seat, which produced the double transfer of paint onto his bumper and nickel from the bumper onto the bicycle. The bike wedged beneath the car's gravel pan. Leaving an indentation and scratch marks. Atwood forced Vicki into his car, possibly with the promise that he would drive her home. While making his getaway, Atwood backed into the mail post, leaving the dent later found by police. No one knows what happened to Vicki Lynn Hoskinson during that fateful drive to the desert. But prosecutors believe. He buried her body later that same day in a shallow grave. Within a day or two, heavy rain seeped into her grave, causing the adipocere to form on her decomposing bones.
2: Vicky was in the wrong spot at the wrong time. I, I believe that Frank kidnapped her. I believe he hit her, uh, knocked her off the bicycle to make contact with her. Uh, I I think he had even done that in the past, made contact with people by contacting them on bicycles. I believe he sexually assaulted her, and I believe he killed her.
1: Frank Jarvis Atwood was tried and convicted of first-degree murder in the death of Vicki Lynn Hoskinson, and was sentenced to death. People say that I'm the hero of the case, but uh, I just want to be a hero that would have saved a child's life,
2: that's all.
0: I'm not a victim that will ever forgive the perpetrator, the murderer, I will never forgive him. And I don't visit the cemetery because I don't believe that that's where she is. When Atwood left her in the desert, that's where she was laid to rest. I feel that that really is where, other than in my heart, where my sister is. There was one time when I was going through a really tough time trying to come to a peace about her death that she came to my bedroom and I woke I and was like I'm sleeping and I hear these little pitter patter feet and this little tapping of mama 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 and I look up and you have to understand this is after Vicki's been deceased. And here's Vicki standing at the foot of my bed. And there's this white light surrounding her. And she's saying, Mommy, I'm okay. I need you to be okay. And then she disappeared. That was a turning point for me.